In these uncertain times, times can be a little uncertain. And when times are uncertain, it's not always certain what time it is. That's why we at the Sandwich with the Pretty Big Pickle in It Corporation want to say that we're here for you. Which, if I understand correctly, is now the socially acceptable way to say, please don't stop giving us your money. I've been told by my PR team that big corporations can't make normal commercials anymore. So, you know, here we are. <clears throat> we know that these are scary times for people, because we're people too, pretty much, legally speaking. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. This episode, we're talking about a few different areas of news in crypto. We're diving into some of the great Bitcoin news, including um, the recent announcement by pioneering hedge fund billionaire Paul Tudor Jones that he's investing quite heavily in Bitcoin and is telling everyone else basically to do the same. We're also talking about VR for meetings and video conferencing. We're touching on a fair bit of Musk-related news. Um, So we're talking about Neuralink, um, some really, really cool stuff coming out of SpaceX and some new Tesla patents. Mm, So uh, also we're going to have a chat about the world's first 3D printed hypercar. And uh, we're also going to look at some really feasible plans to have space stations, moon bases, and even hotels on Mars by 2030 and the economics behind it. As always, everything's in the show notes, so you can find links to the things we're talking about and timestamps so you can find stuff later. Let's get into the show. So firstly, sorry everyone that it's been so long since there's been an episode. Uh, We've been super smashed with work and just a whole bunch of other things as well. And we've just really missed chatting about What's changing the world at the moment? Man, I'm so I'm so pumped for this episode, though, because there's a bunch of really cool stuff that we're going to be covering. Um, yep. But yeah, we sat, we sat down and had a phone. We were just chatting the other day on the phone and about like where we want to be taking things. And I guess we sort of decided that we, we're going to just keep doubling down on the tech stuff because, I don't know, there's, there are so many cool things that are just on the horizon. And I was listening to a little clip from you uh, back on episode four about what smart contracts we're going to be able to do in the future. Yeah. And that was three years ago, man. Wow. Uh, Three, like, it's A lot's changed in three years. Yeah, but, I mean, it was amazing that, like, it's amazing to think of how slowly technology actually progresses. Yeah, yeah. But also we still haven't really even seen any of that come to fruition yet in any kind of meaningful way. But there's an interesting piece on that that's going to crop up in our Mm. crypto news. So, um, yeah. So full disclosure, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. So we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, cryptocurrencies. uh, And if we talk about something that you can buy, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose and avoid the fear of missing out. Joseph, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? What's been going on? I feel like I'm in trouble <laughs> and I'm five years old. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to change it up for, for, for a change, you know? 
Oh mate, yeah, just keeping it fresh, mate. Um, I've been I've been just you know busy working, being a tax slave. Um, I've been buying some Bitcoin, uh, because I like Bitcoin. I think it's pretty cool. Um, and also just before the show, I made a sandwich that was a triple layered sandwich, right? So it had three pieces of bread, mm. and then it had chicken, avocado, tomato, bread, mayo, chicken. So the same again, just it just. And then I didn't finish it. <laughs> I actually, I actually feel just, <laughs> I feel defeated. So if if my if I'm not coming across as just energetic, <laughs> it's, it's because there's chicken in my stomach. You're out of control. Did you put the rest in the fridge, or what's what happened to the sandwich? I, I left the rest of it. Like there's like a measly corner that I didn't finish, but I left it on a plate downstairs. So I, I couldn't. I could barely get back upstairs. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, what about you? By the way, mm-hmm. you've been talking about a super secret project since episode 58, right? <laughs> this is episode 64, Sarah. That was November last year and it's May. So you're either good at keeping secrets or you're bluffing and you're just to try and you know, build our podcast listenership to a big point and then reveal some secret i reckon you're bluffing what what's this super secret project all about no nah, man i'm i'm definitely bluffing there's there's nothing you've got you've got me i mean <laughs> I, we just we just wanted to pump the numbers up you know we like as <laughs> as as you all know we're very uh we're always after sponsors we're always pumping advertising through the show so you know we just really wanted to to get the get the viewership up keep it up in these uh uncertain times and um <laughs> It's just been a carrot that I've been dangling for a long, long time. So. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> all right. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, um, I, I'm sorry. I still can't talk about it yet, but we will. I, I, I promise that when the, we lift the lid off, um, mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be worth the wait. Are you a spy? That, that'd, be, that'd be really ironic, wouldn't it? If I was actually like a, a spy for a nation state. Ooh. That'd be really ironic. Ooh, but then, maybe it, you know, I would it would actually make sense because I've been sowing so much disinformation on this podcast <laughs> the last 60 episodes or so. They'd never suspect. About my proclivities. <laughs> no, I mean, who would suspect? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What else have you been up to, mate, apart from this super secret project that we're never going to find out about? <laughs> um, I've been buying Bitcoin. Um, so yeah. just like you, have been buying a lot of Bitcoin. Um, uh, just, you know, I... I I, th- I think every day I'm more and more bullish. I've been bullish for a long time, but I feel like every day I'm gonna, I get a bit bit more confident um, and we'll have some pretty cool news in that light uh, in the not-too-distant. And then, uh, yeah, apart from that, I've just been uh, – a bunch of legal work came in for me over the last couple of weeks, mate. Um, yeah, I've been you, super you, busy. You, you called to say that, like, the other week I was chatting to you and you were just like, I've been smashed with legal work and it just come out. And I was like, what, do you know why? I think uh, so. I think everything really kind of stopped for about six weeks when this whole COVID thing hit Australia, and they started shutting things down. Everyone said, "Well, look, let's just hold on to stuff and not really get it sorted, and just see things how things turn out." But um, now they're talking about easing restrictions. I mean, we've flattened the curve here, and so like, um, I think people are finally starting to to think, "Well, you know, the world is going to keep turning. The sky isn't falling." So. We need to get all these things that we've been holding on to taken care of. And so everyone kind of made that decision, I think, at the same time. And 
Oh, look, mate, it was it was nuts. It's still been a bit nuts. It's still been a bit crazy even now. Um, but there was a week there where I reckon like, I was just on the phone all the time for, for new matters. Out. So getting actual work done has been quite hard. But, um, yeah, we're just it's just a weird time. It's just a really weird time for everyone. I think that's why, like, when you and I were talking, mate, about um, where we wanted to take the show, we thought, mm. like, you know, what what – we really love doing is talk about talking about exciting tech stuff. Um, yeah, and we've probably gotten a bit bogged down in the not so great stuff that's happening in the world on some episodes. Yep. Like we've yep. probably been a yep. bit guilty of that. Um, mm. Mm. And uh, I think this whole you know what's been going on the last couple of months has probably reinforced for us where we want to focus. You know, we want to focus on the positive stuff. We want to focus on people who are moving the world forward, not kind of looking around in, in, in fear and, um, you know, dwelling on the bad stuff, but trying to, trying to make a difference. So yeah, that's, that's been my last month or so. Awesome. Awesome. Mate, let's just, let's go straight into some of this news. We got some big cryptocurrency news to talk about. Yeah. So first bit of news, pioneering hedge fund billionaire Paul Tudor Jones is leading institutional investors towards Bitcoin. Yeah, this is nuts. So Paul Tudor Jones, he's like, he's a big deal in the hedge fund world. Um, and he's, yeah, pioneer is probably the, the right sort of word, very well respected. And he's a multi-billionaire. But he put out a um, an investor letter uh, just the other week. And this guy who runs a very successful hedge fund He's actually starting to say that he thinks Bitcoin is going to be a huge thing. And he's put 2% of his personal net worth into it on top of that. And he's yeah. got billions. Yeah, which is, which is crazy. So he talks, this, this um, piece from their latest update talks about the great monetary inflation, they're calling it. And it's talking all about, you know, the way that uh, everyone's printing money at the moment with this crisis going on and all the different measures that people are taking and, quantitative easing and everything else that's going on. Um, but the really interesting part is about halfway through when they start comparing store of value asset classes and how they're going to stack up against each other for the next 10 years. He said that we, we graded stores of value on four characteristics. One was purchasing power. You know, How does this asset retain its value over time? Next was trustworthiness. Like, How is it perceived through time and universally as a store of value? Then liquidity, how quickly... Can it be monetized into a transactional currency? And the last one was portability. Can you geographically move this asset if you had to for an unforeseen reason? Yeah. So where things get really interesting is where they start talking about the purchasing power of Bitcoin. And so, and this is a quote from the, the article. It says, I also made a case for owning Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. It is literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply. By its design, the total quantity of Bitcoin, including those not yet mined, can't exceed 21 million, and approximately 18.5 million Bitcoin have already been mined, leaving about 10% remaining. Now, on May 12th, which has just gone by, Bitcoin's mining reward, the pace at which the supply of Bitcoin is increased, will for the third time be halved, uh, falling from 12.5 to 6.25 Bitcoins per block of transactions added to the blockchain. And he goes on to talk about the future halvings, which will occur every four years, consistent with Bitcoin's design, continuing to slow the rate of supply over the next 100 years. And describes this feature as brilliant. He says, the brilliant feature of Bitcoin was designed by the anonymous creator of Bitcoin to protect its integrity by making it increasingly near and dear a concept alien to the current thinking of central banks and governments. 
And he then said the most surprising result of our research group poll was the score ascribed to regular fiat cash. It got a zero across the board. The cry from the troops was, if something is by design going to depreciate 2% a year through inflation, why would you own it? Yeah, which is um, which is what Bitcoin uh, people have been saying for a long time, but it's just super interesting seeing this starting to come through. And then, so they, they moved on to the other characteristics. So that was the, the, the trust, that was our purchasing power, which was the first category. And they moved on to trustworthiness. And they said that uh, no surprise there that Bitcoin got the lowest score because it's also the youngest entrant at 11 years of age. Um, someone mentioned that it has 60 million users in almost 200 com- countries, but that didn't do much to sway people. Uh, gold, as one would have guessed, scored first in the category as it stood the test of time for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. On the liquidity side of things, it was saying that cash actually scored the highest on all of the different you know, available assets there, um, and rightly so. He said, interestingly, Bitcoin is the only store of value that actually trades 24-7 in the entire world. Yeah, and they went on to talk about portability, which was the fourth characteristics. And they said that like liquidity, it's not an issue until it is. And they said, imagine a geographic upheaval, whether it could be caused by war or an epidemic, as we're seeing at the moment, or a change in government that becomes hostile to the holders of wealth, which has happened quite a few times in the last 10 years. A great store of value can be seamlessly moved from one jurisdiction to another with little or no transaction costs. Cash is obviously good for that. Gold is okay but clunky, but of course, nothing beats Bitcoin, which can be stored on a smartphone, among other options. And then they had this to say in summing up, owning Bitcoin is a great way to defend oneself against the great monetary inflation, given the current fact set. As Satoshi Nakamoto, the anonymous creator of Bitcoin, stated in an online forum around the time he launched Bitcoin, the root problem with conventional currency is all the trust that's required to make it work. The central bank must be trusted to not not to debase the currency. But the history of fiat currencies is full breaches of that trust. And then he says, I'm not an advocate of Bitcoin ownership in isolation, but I do recognise its potential in a period when we have the most unorthodox economic policies in modern history. So we need to adapt our investment strategy and we've updated their, um, yeah, and they're saying that we've updated their their fund on it. And and then says, look, at the end of the day, the best profit maximising strategy is to just own the fastest horse. Just own the best performer and don't get wed to an intellectual side that might leave you weeping in the performance dust just because you thought you were smarter than the market. If I'm first forced to forecast, my bet is it will be Bitcoin, which is a big call. Like to say that in a in a, a magazine, a, a piece that's going out to basically everyone that is involved in the hedge fund, plus all the interested parties, plus all the people that just follow this because it's Paul mm-hmm. Tudor Jones and he's a he, you know he's kind of the father of the modern hedge fund movement. Yeah, um, and he actually, they actually charge higher fees than almost than most other hedge funds, like. It's pretty crazy. Like people go with him, and he charges higher fees. Yeah, and 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 so much of the talk in like it's actually a really interesting piece. And I would recommend everyone go read it, um, just because it, it it touches on a lot of the uh, the macroeconomics and and the, all the different factors that are at play at the moment, and really runs through why things have value. Um, so to go through that study, and then instead of at the end concluding, you know, oh, you should hold gold or you should hold US dollars to conclude that uh, Bitcoin is the will be the best form, performing store of value in the future, that's a 
that's a pretty massive deal from my mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and let's go straight into the next piece. Coinbase um, published a report and they, they said that Bitcoin is superior to gold. Yeah, so they published a report arguing that disruptors during the recent health news highlight Bitcoin's advantages over gold. And they state that Bitcoin is afforded these advantages by its lack of dependence on physical supply chains. Yeah, they emphasize that yeah, the recent price gaps exhibited by gold markets worldwide as disruptions in supply chains resulted in different levels of scarcity across different markets. If I remember correctly, it was something like in New York, the price of gold was like 4% different to, I think it was the price in London or something like that. But, um, yeah. but yeah, the report says that Bitcoin will be approximately as scarce as gold. However, it possesses the distinct quality of teleportability. Now we've looked up the definition of teleport here, just to uh, just to <laughs> give a little bit of context, uh, and it's a verb. Um, Especially says, in science fiction, it says. Yeah. <laughs> it says transport or be transported across space and distance instantly. So, for example, who needs a flying carpet if you can teleport <laughs> yourself and your belongings? So there you go, teleportability. That's what Bitcoin mm. can do. Mm. Um, but yeah, and there's more in the article that backs up the claim. So yeah, feel feel free to check it out. Um, I guess the one weakness with Bitcoin, mate, um, that you know that you do hear people say sometimes is that uh, you know it's internet money. Like you need access to the internet. You don't need access to the internet for gold. You don't need access mm-hmm. to the internet for cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that's kind of used to to poo poo it a bit. You'd have a solar flare. There could be a power cut, an outage. You know, and if you you know of some ways that you can be more resilient against those sorts of threats to cryptocurrencies, like, you know, Faraday cages for storing things in or whatever it is, do drop in the uh, Telegram chat and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Next bit of news, in case you missed it, uh, Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency uh, effectively killed itself. Yeah, we first first talked about this sham cryptocurrency back in episode forty seven, uh, around seven minutes twenty seconds through. Save you, save you, what um, listening to it. it's it's a sham cryptocurrency basically. But they they tried to sell it, wasn't it, as a uh, as a cryptocurrency that would eventually be permissionless. Yeah, it was kind of like it's not permissionless at the moment, but you know, eventually we'll make it permissionless. You just got to trust us. Um, and uh, and the, the question, of course, was, well, if it's a cryptocurrency and everyone else can make it permissionless, why can't you guys? And there was never really a good answer on that. Um, of course, there were a lot bigger issues for Libra when um, all the governments started holding inquests and <laughs> tracking them before um, before committees to justify why they were trying to compete with fiat currency. But um, yeah, it was it was really interesting after the launch of of Libra, uh, exactly what happened. Yeah, long story short, Facebook's big, big idea for a global cryptocurrency fell flat on its face because they decided to play nicely with regulators around the world. So uh, it happened a month ago. It's not news, but uh, yeah, nice one, Facebook. Good on you. Next bit of news, uh, 1,000 rat Bitcoin were minted on Ethereum, dwarfing the entire Bitcoin Lightning Network, according to Cointelegraph. Yeah, so thank you to the ever-inspirational Pav for sending this one in. Uh, Really interesting concept. So 1,000 wrapped Bitcoin were minted on the Ethereum network the other week, um, and that single transaction represented more in the US dollar value than the entire Lightning Network, uh, which is like an offshoot to Bitcoin for rapid transactions. 
Yeah, so what's happened is effectively 2,300 Bitcoin are now locked in as WBTC tokens, which is an Ethereum token that allows users to work with decentralized financial protocols using the value represented by their Bitcoin holdings. And the Bitcoin is held by a custodian, BitGo. So what can people do with this? Uh, is this where like, the smart contracts will really like allow people to access that Bitcoin? I, I guess that's probably what they're targeting. They're probably saying, look, like people aren't really that confident in using Ethereum as their unit of exchange. Um, Bitcoin's just got a lot more weight behind it. There's a lot more confidence behind it. People are familiar with it. Um, they kind of know what the value is going to do. Um, so, but but Ethereum, like, I mean, you know, like Lightning is still in the very early stages and it's probably going to grow, but um, it's like it's built on the Bitcoin base layer. Um, so there's some inherent limitations with how it's being implemented at the moment, whereas Ethereum uh, is very different. It's like a global state computer uh, where um, it can execute you know, a number of smart contracts, basically every 10 or so seconds. Um, mm. And these contracts can, can effectively have, you can get conditional logic and programming right there at the coalface with the money. Um, and it all happens on like a, a decentralized permissionless ledger. Um, so it's, it's, it's you basically, what they're trying to do here, I think, is get the financial backing of Bitcoin with the programmability of Ethereum. Yeah, so I guess this means you can just write, you know, agreements programmatically that can transmit Bitcoin underneath, and I guess you'd sort of get those Bitcoin back from BitGo at the end or whatever. So it's yeah, I mean, it's, it there. seems like you've still got to trust BitGo, doesn't it? Like that's as mm-hmm. as the custodian, I think that's you're kind of probably in the, the similar position as Tether, I guess. Um, and I mean, what we've seen with Tether is that they've been in the market long enough; they've kind of proven that they're um, US dollars tether product is you know viable. Um, so if you if you're prepared to trust the custodian, then uh, yeah, it's super attractive for anyone mm. that wants to use Ethereum with Bitcoin. Mm. If you if you do want to hear more about how Ethereum and smart contracts work, check out episode four and uh, use the timestamps in the show notes to jump to the bit you want to learn more about. You gave a great explanation about. Um, of how a smart contract could actually work in the real world at, I think it was 49 minutes, 42 seconds, um, using the example of buying a house. Uh, And this was three years ago and you said it, but look, the technology is becoming more accessible than ever. And now Bitcoin can be the, you know, the the currency that is exchanged over an Ethereum smart contract. Mm. And considering that's three years ago, like that's mad. Like I I wonder (laughs) if it's going to be maybe like another six years until that's, Starts to be more normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think it's a genius move using Bitcoin because I mean, I remember back when we were talking about that and we were talking about um, things like real estate transactions and there was some playing around with it. Um, I mean, even Australia was talking about all the national Australian blockchain and all sorts of things like that. And none of that's really materialized. Most of that's kind of died. Uh, the interest has died down. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with just the fact that like, uh, people weren't trusting of the underlying unit of exchange. Um, yeah. So yeah, by them using Bitcoin, I think is a really smart move. And and let's see, let's see what happens. Like there has all it has always been proposed by a fair few people in the space that like maybe we use one of these more established alternative blockchains to extend Bitcoin's functionality out. You know, like basically mm. I act as a a second or third layer to the Bitcoin 
base layer. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm I'm all for experiments blending blending um, like trying to build upon the Bitcoin base layer with this other stuff. So it's going to be really mm. interesting to watch. Watch that space. Awesome. So yeah, thanks for sending that through, Pav. Um, Oh, this this chicken! I, I I this sandwich is just <laughs> you're struggling, Dude, mate. Are you? I, I feel like I fully regret everything about <laughs> it, but it was so tasty. Mistakes were made. I walked downstairs just now, and you know, I said I left the little bit on the plate. Yeah, one of my housemates like I threw that in the bin. I, <laughs> you are not eating that. Uh, at least you didn't eat it. I mean, that's that would have been worse. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. That's yeah. exactly it, mate. Yeah. Let's just let's jump into the tech news. Yeah, so first bit of news, forget video conferencing. You can now host your next meeting in virtual reality. Yeah, recent advances have made virtual reality the superior technology for conferences and meetings, some experts are claiming. Okay, so there's some problems with regular video conferencing, and I've felt this. Um, people frequently talk over each other. Someone always seems to have microphone or camera issues. There's often lag and the format also fails to capture many of the nonverbal cues that help us communicate effectively. And I can mm. I can witness to this firsthand as someone that's been doing a lot of like telephone calls, video calls the last, you know, couple of months. The the nonverbal cues are like the biggest thing that's missing and it just makes it super hard. Yeah, so so these shortcomings may actually provide a great opportunity for VR. Um like it's Leading VR hardware makers are starting to incorporate gesture, eye gaze, and facial expression tracking into their products. Yeah, now this article was published back in mid-April, but it is really important. And and so David Whalen, the CEO of Immersive VR Education, said interest has really skyrocketed over the past eight weeks. Um, And David sells VR training and collaboration platform called Engage. Yeah, they recently turned HTC's V... V their developer conference uh, for its uh, v- VR had so many Vs here. Um, HTC's developer conference for their VR stuff, um, they turned that into a virtual event attended by a thousand people. But he said that, like, Whelan said that, like, m- most demand for his company's platforms actually come from companies looking for a better way to have daily meetings with the remote employees. Yeah. Now, if, if, you, uh, if you cast your mind all the way back to uh, about a year ago, if not more, I think it might have been two years, there was a real estate company that was building out their VR world um, as like, oh. kind of like a corporate headquarters. Um, and uh, and they, like, they, they thought it was going to be the future. And um, They've seen some real success with that, but we haven't seen too much really following in the in the footsteps of it. But it seems like this this uh, this current crisis has kind of kickstarted the need for a lot of that. Yeah, uh, if you want to hear more about that um, that real estate business that wanted that's running their company in VR, go to fourteen minutes and twenty two seconds through uh, episode twenty three. That's the company you were talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, that was oh, a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah, Facebook, they've um, ditched, ditched uh, handheld controllers and they're just using uh, cameras to track hand and finger movements. Um, HTC and Pico, they're, who are competitors, they've produced headsets with eye tracking and I think bulkiness and the cost of headsets is is really still going to be a thing. Because they're super prohibitive. I mean, I think you look at the latest Valve um, is it index that they released and that was like a thousand bucks or more to get. So, like, it's still, 
Yeah, and like it's just like it's got to, it's. I don't think it's at that point where it's super compelling for um, individual users to buy just yet because just because the price point isn't reflective mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what they're getting from it. I mean, if you can buy a nice monitor for two hundred dollars, why would you go out and buy a VR headset for five times that price when you're really only going to be using it for niche yeah. stuff? But that's at a consu- That's yeah. just for a, like a normal consumer. But for businesses, I think mm-hmm. like if they're wanting to move their employees into, you know, particularly if there's a lot more working from home going on um, and they're wanting to move their employees into an environment where it's a bit more workable, definitely, you could definitely see them starting to foot that bill. Yeah, you could so see that. Like you join a company and one of your joining gifts is just a VR headset for your home and that's like, yeah, this is how you can join in our stuff. But um, yeah, today's VR systems are still a fair way. (gasps) Oh boy, sorry. Today's VR systems are still a long way from being able to measure. Like, there's so many different ways that we smile, or you know, the 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 all these little body gestures and facial expressions. Like, mm. yeah. But in, but in the future, though, VR telepresence will be indistinguishable from real life. Yeah, I I, I definitely think so. I mean, it, it'll be a learning process, and you'll probably have AI, you know, watching, which is a little bit creepy all the different people and their <laughs> expressions and working out, like mapping that to emotions and thoughts. And it's probably going to take a fair while. Ooh. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just another data set. And the more data you collect, the, the better you can project that into the, the virtual reality world, um, the better you're able to communicate all those little cues that we just kind of intuitively pick up on as humans. And, you know, we don't really think mm. about them. Let take, let's take a side note on this VR stuff. Like I was looking at uh, audio production software for making movie soundtracks the other day. Don't ask me why, um, because I'm not making a movie or anything. Um, I was just <laughs> doing that. Um, but I stumbled across a piece of software called Nuendo from Steinberg. Now those guys make uh, Cubase, which is used by composers like Hans Zimmer. Um, but yeah, they, this Nuendo software, it, it's, it's, it's software made for immersive sound. So you design soundscapes and it's basically about ambisonics, which is what they say is a technology that creates a spherical sound field, which allows you to capture live performances and position sounds in the spherical field with utmost precision. Wow. And wow. that's going to okay, be so you- huge for VR. Yeah, so you could basically have your VR goggles on, be standing in front of the sound desk, and get a certain like get the, you know the best basically the best sound of anybody. If you move kind of move to the side, you might get the side that yep, would be yep. you know more for people on that side at the real venue at the back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. yeah, wow. When we start watching you know the the World Cup football in VR, or we start watching you know what snooker in VR, or whatever the you know these live events in VR. Um, then audio, like, is so important. I mean, you and I as podcasters know, like, it's – and all, you, you as a listener, like, if you're – when you see a video that's in 1080p, beautiful video, but the audio's bad, like, Ugh. the whole experience is – like, when audio's bad, you notice it. But when audio is when audio's good, you don't notice it. It's just audio, right? Yeah. But yeah. that's what VR is going to need, like – unnoticeable audio and that's what that software does and i was just thinking it's just it's just cool that there's software out there that's just making bringing leaps and bounds in the immersive reality world that we're gonna need yeah 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 Uh, it'll be clumsy at first but like 
technologies like that are the future of immersive VR. And it's just going to be so fascinating mm. to watch them evolve. I mean, even just seeing some of the new stuff that's coming out of these VR games, which is, let's be honest, where they're pushing the boundaries with a lot of the VR tech. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, I saw a uh, an AIM trainer because I subscribe to the virtual reality subreddit. And so there's always some, uh, some mm. interesting stuff popping up on that most days. And, they had an aim trainer on there a couple of days ago. So basically kind of like aim Counter Strike. What is that? Yeah. So like yeah. Um, if you're playing like shooting games in VR, it can be really it's really different to like playing it on your PC normally. And it's actually mm-hmm. quite hard to be precise. So this was basically like just it almost put out like clay targets for you. Like, you know, you'd, you'd shoot at in real life. Wow. And you'd, you'd, you know, you'd like shoot them as they moved and track them and, um, and you could get better and better and better and better at it. Um, so then if you go into an actual VR game, um, you know, your, your reflexes are honed in. Um, you're a lot, you're, you're, you're basically just training your reflexes and your brain to be able to calculate where you need to aim in VR. Um, it was super simple, but it was just super cool to see. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of stuff. Mate, that's so cool. Yeah. It's not all good on the VR front, though, or the augmented and virtual reality front. Magic Leap um, have halved their headcount in a struggle for survival. Yeah, so they're a, a, a US augmented reality startup um, who've raised $2.3 billion, but they've just, like, they've just struggled to gain any traction with their product. Like, I feel like they've been called a unicorn now for years, and they haven't really done... <laughs> anything unicorn like you know like no one is really buying their product people like they're not really yeah like for all that money they've poured in 2.3 billion dollars um they don't really have that much to show for it yeah we we mentioned magic leap in passing uh, as recently as episode 60 i think when we talked about mm. what's next for gaming but we've been watching them for a while, but yeah, they promised this, you know, revolutionary augmented reality technology. They got backing from big funders, you know, including Google. But yeah, they're ending their near-term ambitions to sell their headset to mainstream consumers, which was the very promise that had got such big investments for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So it's not all rosy in the world of VR. <sighs> Magic Leap, man. I I feel like they're just, yeah. I, I I think they bet on getting the headsets. Like, I think that was the, that was yeah. like, they thought that there was going to be a lot more uptake of the headsets. People would be a lot more interested than they actually were. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if they did much customer canvassing and testing before they, they built it because I don't know. I just, we're not. We're just, we're just not seeing that demand at the moment. I think there's gonna. I think what they were banking on was the killer app, like having the killer app, kind of like the phone. Yeah, yeah, um, something yeah, that would yeah, would, yeah. would prompt people to want to go and get the headsets on mass. Like they needed tick. They needed TikTok for yeah. VR, right? That's yeah. what they needed. <laughs> or Halo. Like I mean, you look at like Xbox. Like yeah. Halo was the thing that everyone went and bought an Xbox because it had Halo on it. They saw someone playing it. They're like, uh. that game looks sick. I'm going to go buy an Xbox. Um, and, uh, well, yeah, they just haven't really had that. That's a very good point, yeah. It's sort yeah. Of, uh, mm, carts and horses. Um, yeah, yeah. Chicken and egg. Next bit of news. Uh, artificial intelligence that can evolve on its own is being tested by Google scientists. Yeah, AutoML0 is designed to create a population of 100, quote-unquote, candidate algorithms by combining basic random maths 
and then testing the results on simple tasks such as you know, image differentiation. Uh, the best performing algorithms then evolve by randomly changing their code. Wow. Okay. So the results, which then will be variants of the most successful algorithms, then get added to the general population as older and less successful algorithms get left behind and the process continues to repeat. Mm. And that's, that is enough internet for today. I think this so. whole podcast was recorded by Google's AI. We're not That's even right. real. <laughs> it's been it's been uh, over the last one month of meat sack time. It's been through two trillion different algorithms, and this is what popped out at the end of it. So this is the this is this is the optimum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is the best it could do. <laughs> this- <laughs> They're still <laughs> still got a long way to go. All right, Joe. Let's so just just to kind of dip into the into the insane slash, you know, a little bit dystopian, I guess. Just for a second, we we got to. It's a FOMO show episode. Tell, talk to me about Neuralink. What's going on with Neuralink? Well, Elon Musk said that Neuralink will do human brain implants in less than a year, quote unquote. Yeah, he was on that Joe Rogan podcast the other week. Plenty of listeners have probably heard it already. And he said, "Look, yeah, we may be able to implant a neural link in less than a year." In a person, I think. So if you haven't been following along at home, um, Neuralink is a brain-computer interface that connects your brain to AI. And if you want to hear more about it, you can check out episode 49, about 16 minutes in, where we do the full deep dive and, you know, jack ourselves into the matrix, essentially. Yeah, and that episode, incidentally, had a great feature on China's Silk Road infrastructure project. That's, like... Super ambitious project. If you want to know where the world's going to be trading, according to China, like that episode is really cool, by the way. But um, yeah, so Neuralink, plugging your brain into computers and stuff, that's actually going to be, it's going to be revolutionary for like a number of ideas. Like there are some medical conditions that this could really be beneficial for and it could absolutely transform lives. Mm. So we thought, you know, we wouldn't, we, we've already shared our views in episode 49, but we thought... um. We might just give Citizen X a call, uh, who's our one of our one of our regular or semi regular guests on the show, and um, just hear what he thought about Neuralink. Mm. Uh, hey, Citizen X, um, mate, just wanted to give you a quick call and just like we're just talking about Neuralink on the show this week. Just want your quick opinion on what you think about it. Yeah, man, did you see? Digital dystopia, man. Look, the platforms you use every day, they filter out and restrict information before it's even published, man. And you have to assume that everything you do on or near a digital device is being recorded, measured, analyzed, and stored. Phone calls, text messages, web searches, browsing history, online event invites, crypto purchases, the lot, man. This is the world we live in, and now they want to plug into your brain and control how you think, man. They're going to be plugging in wires. They're going to be supercharging your brain. They're going to be rounding it up and making you believe things you don't know. You can't trust it, man. Okay, cool. Thanks, Susan X. Um, we will talk to you another time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, well, that was strange, but... um. Yeah, in that vein, if you do want to be more private and safe online, um, check out our resource at fomo.show slash privacy. Uh, It's a good repository of our favorite tools to check and strengthen your online security. And none of it, um, unlike Citizen X, involves tinfoil hats. Yet. 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 But we may be selling a FOMO-branded 
tinfoil yeah. hats. If you want FOMO-branded tinfoil hats, just email us at FOMO.show at protomail.com. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. make them custom for you. Yep, perfect. Yep, yep. perfect. Next bit of news. Um, so moving on to another one of Musk's um, Musk ventures. SpaceX is going to offer public Starlink beta in September, apparently. Yeah, so SpaceX will start testing their Starlink broadband service uh, in a private beta in about three months, and they're going to make it available for public beta in about six months from now. That's what he wrote on Twitter the other week. So the first beta trials will occur in high latitudes, he wrote. Yeah, so that's good for North American, Canadian, and Greenlandic listeners. And look, if you're listening in Greenland, shout out to you. Um, I've actually been... What I up? went on a weird excursion around your one large city a few weeks ago on Google Earth, I think, and uh, I really want oh. to visit. So <laughs> really, really nice looking really? place. Yep. What were you doing on – what, how? What, oh, what? I don't even know. I can't remember how I did. I think it was a – it might have been um, a photo that popped up. Too on much whiskey. Like a <laughs> – yeah, I, just, I was drinking some Highland Park and I thought, can we go further north? <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Uh, my, my, my head was in the Orkneys and I thought can we go further north and we did but no it actually looks like a really nice place I, oh, I can't remember the name yeah, of the cool. city now um, what's it called Greenland City the largest city on the island has a population of only over 16,000 yeah the Nook N-U-U-K Nook, Nook. Greenland's administrative Nook. capital it looks really cool yeah so anyway, huh. if you're listening from Greenland, shout out to you. Please let us know. Um, yes. We'd love to come crash your house sometime or something. That'd be awesome. Anyway, yes, yeah, so SpaceX, <laughs> they got approval in 2018 to, uh, to launch up to 4,425 low Earth orbit satellites at several different altitudes between 1,100 and... 1,325 kilometres up in the sky. Yeah, and following the other week, they said they wanted to provide a low-latency broadband to unserved and underserved Americans that's on par with service previously only available in urban areas. And in future, it's going to be all corners of the globe. So if you're in a remote polar region or if you live in the north of England, um, you will be able to get internet. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's what they're targeting with this one. It's going to have some... Pretty significant issues anywhere that's even relatively built up. But if you're in, um, if you're in like a a more remote area of the world, uh, you're going to be able to get some great speeds, hopefully through this. And and that's what they're aiming the service at. So, yeah, um, definitely, definitely watch that space. Uh, subscribe to the. Uh, so there's a Starlink subreddit as well, um, which I'm subscribed oh, to. Yeah. And yeah, and then like and people take photos and videos all the time of the. Um, the clusters going across the sky because so if, if you if you happen to be really lucky you can actually look up um, you know maybe one night some certain time you'll look up and you'll see like about sixteen of these they look like um, shooting stars flying across the sky in like a line and that's actually the um, the SpaceX satellites they they move in clusters and because they're so low um, they're all really visible wow yeah so there's some that super cool insane. footage out there. Huh. I'm going to subscribe to that subreddit. That looks dope. Cool. Yeah. Transport news. Tesla has patented a new battery cell that Elon Musk, again, he has hyped as way more important than it sounds. 
question. Yes, this is from electric.co, and we don't fully understand the importance of what this patent was all about yet. Um, so go to the article for, for details. But massive-scale, low-cost batteries are what they're aiming for. They want to produce their own battery cells using technologies that they've developed in their internal teams as well as using new technologies acquired through their – because they acquired Maxwell, which was a battery and energy storage company. So uh, right. big things there. Yeah. Who have they been using up till now, Joe? I'm sure you told me that uh, the battery manufacturer. Oh yeah, they were using. working with uh, they were working with Panasonic. Um, okay. To produce the batteries for Model S's and all and that. And they've stuff. had issues, haven't like, they? Look, there's been some issues with Panasonic's batteries for Tesla. Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was. Whether it was supply chain issues or just like agreement issues, but essentially they've been wanting to be self reliant, and um, looks like that's starting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Next bit of news. Uh, scientists have created jet engines powered by only electricity. Finally. Yes. The future yes. is now. now the, well, the future is probably a short while off, but still, this is nuts, right? <laughs> the, the device compresses air and ionizes it with microwaves. I understood none of that. But that generates plasma that thrusts it forward. Um, that's also stuff that I don't understand. But that's according to research published uh, in the journal AIP Advances. That means that planes may someday fly using just electricity and the air around them as fuel. That is amazing. The air, they're using the air around them as fuel. That's unreal. Uh, so I, basically like a whole bunch of science happens and then the plane moves forward using electricity. That's science and yeah. flight. It's just nuts. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Like, um, but yeah, there's a long way to go between this proof of concept prototype uh, and putting an, in, an engine in a real plane. But the prototype was able to launch what a one kilogram steel ball, 24 millimeters into the air. Um, and that's the same thrust proportional to scale as a conventional jet engine. So wow. if they just do... 100 times more science, then maybe we will fly. <laughs> but like, I'm, I mean, I'm no scientist, Joe. I'm no scientist. But, yeah. you know, if, if it's the same con like thrust proportional scale as a conventional jet engine, couldn't they just build it at like 100 times the scale of what they've built it now and then it would be the same as a conventional jet engine and then they could they could try and fly it again? Again, I'm no scientist, but I, I I speculate that you're right. Okay, great. <laughs> the future is closer than we think. And speaking of if closer than we think, meet the world's first 3D printed hypercar. There is a video on YouTube that hypes it, so I don't need to hype it any further. But it looks kind of cool. Yeah, this this is wild. Um, even just the concept of printing a hypercar like this is is a massive deal because it means that one day us regular mortals may be able to print our own supercars, which is super cool. Uh, but most of the car's chassis uh, is 3D printed to achieve strength while saving costs on tooling. Um, and it's one of the most unique hypercars ever built. Yeah, they called it the 21C, so... Uh, by a company called Szinger, 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 Szinger. So yeah, um, 
that's the name of the company. It's a very memorable company name. And the car is called the 21C. People are doing yeah. anything for those like seven or eight letter domains now, aren't they, Joe? <laughs> Sticking all sorts of weird letters everywhere. <laughs> we'll next have an emoji as a car brand, won't we? <laughs> Um, Just a lightning bolt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! But uh, yeah, made it's made with aluminium and titanium alloys for the most part, with a few prefabricated carbon fiber tube parts that make their appearance. The entire car's chassis is like an organic skeleton, as Yanko Design, the website, have named it. Yeah, so while most Hopa cars have two seats arranged side by side, the Twenty One C uses a one plus one layout by putting its driver in front and rider behind, which is just like a jet fighter. That is so cool. Um, uh. So this unique seating layout comes personally from founder Kevin Singer's love for bikes and their seating arrangement. Now, the 21C is limited to 80 units, which we manufactured at Singer's unit in California. Mm, top speed, 236 miles per hour. That's around about 17,000 kilometers an hour. Um I actually have no idea what that would be. What was that in that? It's uh, quite a lot. Uh, it's a few. So that'd be about 360-odd kilometers, I think. Your maths is pretty good, 379.85. Oh, there you go. So cool. uh, science. Um, but, yeah, acceleration 0 to 60, 1.9 seconds. Sounds pretty cool. So check out the trailer if you want to get hyped over something that you'll never be able to buy, but – it's pretty cool. But one day we may be able to print it. Oh, that's such a good one idea. Day. Yeah, only 80 will ever be made, they said, and then someone torrented the uh, <laughs> yeah. the design. On uh, on 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 um, nice wares with a Z <laughs> dot, you know. Dot two-letter domain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, perfect. Like way deep in the PHP BB forums, you can find the, the specs. Uh, Whatever happened to PHP BB though? Just, oh just, man, that was it, it. Sort of died off, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, discourse is just like such a better alternative now that. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, mm. rip. <laughs> Two minutes silence. All right, shout outs, shout outs. Wherever you're joining us from, uh, absolute pleasure as always having you here. Um, well done for making it this far. Yeah, why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? You can find that at FOMO.show slash Telegram. Looking forwards, a sky full of starships. Yeah, so this uh, came from nextbigfuture.com and um, it's a great opinion piece from Brian Wang of Next Big Future showing where things are heading. And we just we thought that it was just something that kind of needed its own segment because it is just amazing. It's, a, it's an incredible view of the future and where Elon Musk is potentially taking SpaceX. So Brian writes, let us assume that the SpaceX Starship is a complete, fully reusable success that achieves mass production. So Elon's talked about making a thousand SpaceX Starships over 10 years. Now, if the goal of $5 million to produce each Starship is hit, then the SpaceX Starship would be cheaper than commercial planes. They would be able to move 100 tonnes of cargo at 20 times the speed of jets. All air cargo movement over 1,500 miles would shift to starships. Now, each starship is more than the volume of the International Space Station and would be built to provide human inhabitants 
safe living environments in the space. And the space station was built with 36 shuttle launches. Every single launch of Starship Super Heavy can place an equivalent station into space. There's also a version being built to land on the moon, and so three starships can be connected. One would be the centre, and two could rotate for simulated gravity. Now, Brian does some back-of-the-napkin calculations here, but he goes, look, a space station using 50 SpaceX starships would only cost us about $5 million for the vehicle and $2 million for the launch. This would be about $350 million for the hardware, plus some docking and connections, which is a space station made of 50 SpaceX starships. Yeah, so using 300 SpaceX starships would only cost about $2.1 billion for the hardware, um, and this would be volume comparable to a cruise ship. And, and large cruise ships cost about $1 billion, just for comparison. And he goes, once fuel's being produced on the moon, then fuel costs from orbit to the moon would not be much more than going from Earth to orbit. And that would mean that it would cost about $10 billion to land about 300 SpaceX Starships for a massive lunar base. Now, just for perspective, um, the recent stimulus that was announced here by the Australian government was $300 billion uh, for this, you know, whole coronavirus thing. So that's only about one thirtieth of of that stimulus package, which is just a short-term measure basically for the next six months here in Australia. It's only one thirtieth of the cost of that to build a massive lunar base of 300 SpaceX Starships. Also, all of that mass would mean plenty of water and material for radiation shielding. We would have simulated gravity from the rotation and we could actually make a version of the Gateway Foundation Von Braun Station. Now, I'm going to have to Google that, and it looks like a big old circle made of things. That looks, it looks kind of like space. a stargate, like a big stargate. Like a, a donut with yeah. a, an X connecting the edges of the donut yeah. out in space. And he goes, a sky full of SpaceX starships by 2030 can give us all of the moon bases, orbital bases, and hotels and Mars bases that space dreamers have wanted since the 1960s. Wow. And look, I think the big, the big key with that is that because of the way Musk has been building these SpaceX starships, the economics stack up in a way they never really have before. Like until now, it's been about launching starships into space. One time, you lose a whole bunch of it. Quite expensive, most of them in government run. Obviously, there's been a lot of wastage in that. Musk, on the other hand, has built this, you know, very modular reusable, super efficient model for the, for the Starships, the SpaceX Starships. And because they're being built so much cheaper and because they're reusable, the economics just stack up in a, in a whole new way. Like it's just incredible. Like with 350 million sounds like a lot, but when you put it in perspective of even like a small country's budget, it's not that much. And when you then think about, okay, a cruise ship, like which there's so many of these cruise ships around – floating around the world at the moment, costs $1 billion for $350 million, or if you're conservative, let's even just call it $500 million, just for round numbers, could put a space station with 50 SpaceX Starships up in orbit as a permanent installation, which would be huge, like way bigger than the, um, than the International Space Station, but with artificial gravity as well from the spinning. So when Elon Musk says, we're going to Mars... We are absolutely going to Mars. Like, it's so, the, the numbers check out. It's just nuts. So, yeah. 
a sky full of starships uh, makes yikes. It w- this is where it's going. That was great. Yeah, I'm glad you put that article in, mate. That was that was really good. I very much enjoyed it. Good on you, Brian. Know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. Follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player uh, or subscribe um, via your podcast app or our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. I always say no FOMO, but literally, I read that Paul Tudor Jones. I heard about that Paul Tudor Jones thing from, oh, like on the Max Kaiser report because like I'd read the headline last week. It didn't really sink in. I was listening to Kaiser report. Max Kaiser's like, this guy is a champ. Like he's a big effing deal. Um, and then he's just like, this is going to get so many people into Bitcoin. And then I was watching it and I was eating my massive sandwich and I was like, this is so exciting. So I put my sandwich down, I go upstairs and we're always talking about no FOMO, but I literally just bought Bitcoin <laughs> because, because, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, I, I fall for all of the shilling. Nah, man. I like it's you know. There's there's some good FOMO. I feel like I feel like FOMO that forces you to invest in a a, a store of value that will have significant future value and will protect your money against inflation. I mean that's a that's a form of FOMO we can probably we can probably excuse. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Ripple, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I thought we were talking about Facebook Libra, but you know, Ripple <laughs> insert. Nice. Yeah. Oh, geez, man. I'm sure there's some really bad moments back in those early episodes where, like, do you remember when um when I made all that money on rain? That, like, that crappy, oh, yeah. like, yeah. currency that was just, like, just meant nothing. It was just all pump and dump. Yeah. And then I didn't cash out and it just dropped back to zero. Oh, mate. But, like, I'm sure one episode I was like, yeah, I've been, like, you know, investing in some like alternative stuff, hosting my own nodes, like, yeah. Mate. Anyway. What has proven me wrong forever is FOMO.show slash tax returns. <laughs> I'm gonna, oh, I haven't looked at this in ages. FOMO.show <laughs> slash Neither, is it tax returns. Tax returns, all is one word, right? So, yeah, there's a couple of years ago I got, um, some money in my tax return. Oh, hang on. No, it's not tax returns. Oh. Uh, tax return? Or maybe it is tax return. Yeah. Tax return. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I get my tax return and I decide I'm going to sink a bunch of it into crypto Ooh. and I'm going to split it uh, amongst a few different things. Now, thankfully, I only bought EOS basic attention token. Z- and what else did I get? I got Swarm City and then I bailed out of that. Um, 
But dude, if I'd actually bought those things that I wanted to buy, <laughs> mate, and imagine if I just bought Bitcoin, hey? Yeah, mate. Imagine. Oh, look at that. See how just look at some of these, though, man. Like <laughs> Bitcoin. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, oh, like Iota. Holy crap! I, just, I remember when Iota was like a two dollars something. Oh, there you go. Bought it two dollars. Oh no, one dollar ninety. EOS bought at three dollars. Quantum twelve dollars. Oh, Bitcoin twenty five dollars. Now it's twenty five cents. <laughs> You've lost ninety nine, ninety nine percent. Well, if you ever needed to know that I'm an idiot, then uh, I've got the quantif—I have quantifiable information to back me up. You've, you've, yeah. <laughs> Basic attention token you've made money on. Yeah, actually, that that did yeah. be okay. Um, but like, I reckon the median, the median change, median change, medium return looks like it's about 80, 80, 80 minus eighty to eighty five percent. Well, Grello. Oh, you remember oh, Grello? Man. That was that like yeah. smart, yeah. that like AI legal thing. Yeah. Blackcoin. Dude, my best report. Oh, mate. My best performance. Swarm City. I bought that. I cashed out massive highs on that. That was good. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, but Pivx, I I sold that. I sold. I I, I finally bailed on Pivx. Uh, yeah. I managed to turn two grand into two hundred dollars. Nice. For the seeds. <laughs> Plantation device. Plantation device for the seeds. Aquaphobic. Big bag of seeds for me. <laughs> <laughs> I might put it after the Neuralink thing. Cool. Oh, no, Perfect. Not. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no, because that now, Neuralink. And now for a comment from Citizen X. <laughs> <laughs> We called Susan X and asked him what he thought about Musk's neural link. <laughs> Have you? Oh, mate, I watched um, I watched this show called Upload. Like, I don't watch much TV, but like, yeah, Twitch Twitch was just spamming me with ads for this Upload show on Amazon Prime, and I've got yeah. like, I've got Prime, um, and uh, and so I was like, oh, I'll watch the first episode, see what it's like, and it's like set in like near future where. Um, basically, if you die, like if you're about yeah. to die, you can choose to be uploaded to like a, oh, a simulation. Yeah. Um, and like different companies run different simulations, and you know, like if you if you can afford the, if your family can afford the premium, keep paying for you for your premium. Um, you know, you can go to somewhere like Lakeview, which is where this guy ends up because he's got like a rich girlfriend. And, yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's like it's all kind of like like he gets. Um, you know, things cost money in the in the thing, and you can choose, and like you get advertised to, and um, there's like a freemium version, and it's just like it's it's um hmm. it's actually like really plausible when you watch it. You're like, I can see this happening in the not too distant future. Once we get, you know, once we can, if something like Neural League happens, and we get hmm. Hmm. Uh, map the map the human brain, work out how to transfer consciousness into machines. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's assuming we can. I mean, that's Did you ever watch Transcendence? Yeah. Sorry? 
Do you ever did you ever watch Transcendence? No, uh, no, I didn't. It was a Johnny Depp film. It was a massive flop, to be honest. Um, yeah. But the idea was that this was a guy who worked on like AI and all that sort of stuff. But um, basically, a bunch of anti-tech terrorists um, almost kill him. So he manages to upload his consciousness to this like AI. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a fascinating sort of. Oh, this food in my stomach, man. Holy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> I just had a weird thought. Like, imagine if you, like, have your police interview, like, in VR. You just sit at home, put a headset on, and you're just surrounded. Like, or you go to court and you just put a headset on and you're just surrounded by a judge and jury. <laughs> How weird would that be, hey? It's like, like measuring your pulse weird. and your, the, your, the amount you're sweating and... <laughs> I swear Ugh. to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but it. Why did you see, twitch? This is, see, now we're moving. We're moving into our dystopian stuff again. So we need Sorry, to. Sorry. Yes. Need to need up, to write this back ship, up. Joe. 